new beginning. Welcome, everybody. This is Grief Dreams Podcast. My name is Sean Ram. And I'm Joshua Black, and we're here again to uh, talk to some amazing people on their journeys in life and the dreams they may or may not have had uh, through their, their grief process. So once again, we are thrilled to for you guys to be listening to this uh, episode and just honored that you are supporting us in this podcast journey. Today we have Mary Beth Haynes, who is an author, speaker, educator on pet loss. You can find uh, Mary Beth Haynes and uh, the work she's doing at www.powerofpets365.com. All right, so welcome, Mary Beth. How's it feel to be here? Oh, it feels amazing. I've been looking forward to this for a while, so thanks for having me here. No problem, and it's, it's nice to see you in a different environment than when we, when we first met. So do you remember when we first met? I do. You know, it wasn't that long ago, actually, and I came to one of your talks that you had in the presentation in Niagara Falls on Grief Dreams. When I saw it, I actually thought, I gotta get there. This sounds too amazing. And uh, when I heard how you shared about not only with people, but with pets, my ears perked up and I wanted to make sure that we connected. So, and now we're here. Yeah, now we're here and we're doing a lot of stuff together. You know, I think we really sort of uh, found a common sort of goal in, in the sense of, um, raising awareness in pet loss and just loss in general and yeah. supporting each other under different platforms. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. so, and you uh, you wrote this book, uh, Power of Pets, that we'll get into. And I thought it was an, just an amazing read and it's a simple read and I'm glad you wrote something for the, those who are dealing with animal loss. Um, Thank you. So moving forward, we always like to start with people's journey and like, so how did they get to the spot of even wanting to write a book. So um, can you talk about maybe your journey as a child to like, did you have pets to, you know, did you go to university, did you, you know, all that sort of stuff um, to be at this spot where you um, wrote a book on pet loss? Well, if we were to travel back in time to go to the year 1973, I would have been two. So for those of you that are good at math know how old I am now. Um, And what happened was at the age of two, my parents moved my brother, sister and I to a hobby farm. And we lived in the huge metropolis of Waynesleet, Ontario, oh, okay, yeah. population 6,000 people. So it was a huge, huge city. Uh, kidding, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, we grew up on a hobby farm. So we had animals from a very, very early age. So if you think of an animal on a farm, it was my pet. So, you know, cats, dogs, cows, pigs, chickens, goats, like you name it. We had that as an animal on our farm. And at the age of two, I didn't look at them as animals. These were my friends. They were my buds. You know, we hung out, we played together, you know. And uh, so having an animal in my life from a very early age was, was, was it's just normal to me, you know, that was taught to be normal. And my parents uh, taught us as children that we need to care and respect for the animals in our care. And if we do that, they'll give back to us. And that's exactly what happened. So. When the time came, perhaps a dog or a cat or a rabbit or a guinea pig um, died, we actually went out because we had 25 acres of land. So we actually had a dedicated area that we called our pet cemetery. Oh, yeah. And so we all went out as a family and we all went out and buried our pet. And the thing that really hit me most was that we were allowed to be sad, we were allowed to cry, but we were also encouraged to share something positive. You know, what, what do we remember? So if I was like four or five or eight, you know, from, from that state of where my mental, you know, how I thought of things would be, I would share, you know, things, you know, 
Fluffy may be happy when we went to sleep, or you know, those types of things. Then it brought a positive spin on death in my life. So, you know, you ask me, have I had animals? All you know, I have. You know, for me not to have an animal in my life just would not seem normal to me. So, um, you know, that's how it brought me, you know, through my life. Uh, you know, I went to college and I, I took counseling and social services and I, I worked with people in a variety of areas. Um, and it wasn't until I got into my late 30s that I experienced the death of our cat named Kitty, who's the inspiration for writing this book. And when I, I was at a crossroads in my life, I knew I wanted to do something and I knew I was going to write a book, but I had no direction. You know, my father said to me when he was in his 50s, he said, you know, Mary Beth, I'm 54 years old and I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I remember being in my 20s and my 30s, and I remember saying the same thing. I, I hadn't found that passion. So I was at a crossroads in my life, and, you know, late 30s. And uh, I uh, knew that I was going to write a book, didn't know what direction to go in, and then Kitty passed away. And it hit me like no other death in my life had. And I found through the healing from him that this is what I want to do when I grow up. I want to help people in healing from, from when their pet passes away. And uh, that's how the power of pets was born. Wow, that, that's actually beautiful. Um, because I didn't grow up with pets around me, and so I never really knew the bond that people could have with animals. And I think a lot of people still are denying the fact that um, pet loss is real, like mm -hmm. in the sense of the feelings and the, the grief that people share. Yeah. Um, and so I can um, only imagine, like, what people do go through is that, like my, I've only lost my father, I haven't lost a pet yet, but I keep hearing these stories of people and it's very similar, if not a little different in the sense of the, the pain and the, the longing for the individual to still be around, to still be like, because it's a different kind of feel, right? For them to be always there, they're always there for you, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, it's those times where it's like, you walk in and they're not greeting you. That's right. That's right. It's the dynamic between a human to a human versus an animal to a human. It's very unique. And when it comes to an animal to a human and a bonding connection, I mean, how many animals do you know that talk back or judge you or, you know, actually argue with you or, you know, that type of thing. And when it comes to animals, they're there with, you know, if they came with a job description, you know, um, in that job description, it would say, I am here to love. I'm here to accept. And I am here to be with you. And uh, when it comes with humans, I mean, we love each other, we accept each other, but we're also human to human. It's just a different perspective. And so many people come to me when I when I work with them in healing from the loss of their pet, saying, you know, I, I don't understand it. You know, when when you know Fluffy died, um, I, it hit me harder than when my father died, and I don't know why. Right, and so it's it's that that human animal bond connection. It's very very strong. And uh, also, your upbringing is so important because you're mm -hmm. on a farm. Yeah. You your connection was established so much quicker. Yeah. Like I just think in today's society, we're disconnected. You know, like I don't know where my food is. If I if I eat meat, I don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, right. There's a lot of and and I think that leads to maybe the lack of integrity and respect for animals mm -hmm. because we don't have that connection. We don't see, and especially if it's been, if you haven't grown up with pets and if it's been a while since you've interacted with an animal, yeah, you, you don't know 
what it's like. So you, obviously, it's hard for you to understand grief at that point. Mm -hmm. Sean, did you ever have an animal before you got Rumble? No, uh, fish. Um, I had some fish. I wasn't able to establish the bond that I, I wanted with fish. I, I was young and, you know, you, you want to play with the animal and whatever, whatever. My parents, though, definitely had a bond with my, my fish. Uh, every day they would wake up, they would uh, feed it, they would talk with the fish. Mm. Um, they really loved those two fish. They were like guppies, actually. And they grew them, they were big. But yeah, you know, even with the goldfish, there was a bond, you know. And, and uh, so for me, it was a lifelong passion to want a dog. Um, I had to wait till I was 32. Uh, my family, uh, most of my family is allergic to animals. And, and then after I moved out, it was a matter of timing. And I wanted to have the time. I wanted to have the right space uh, for my dog. So I finally got one. He's 10 months now. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of it. I'm, now I understand. Before, I had respect and integrity for animals. But even then, there's, you don't quite get it until you interact with one or have one. It's, it's, it's an incredible bond. So you had that in, at an early age, and that set you off. Exactly. Exactly. It just was so normal to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, there was a short time in my 20s where I didn't have an animal and I just felt like something was missing. You know, it was, there just been such an important part of my life. And then soon I was, I was able to adopt a new one. Then it's almost like that void became, you know, it wasn't there anymore. So, so yeah. you just have one animal or do you like pack it a lot in like? You have like six birds, four dogs. Currently, yeah. yeah currently, currently. Like what's, yeah, what's your... So if it was up to me, I would say yes to all of that. <laughs> However, <laughs> my husband does say, Beth, we got a dog line somewhere. So at this point, um, we do have a chihuahua. Uh, he's six years old, and his name is Nemo, and he's seven pounds of love. Mm -hmm. And then we have a senior guy at home uh, named Mushi, who's our, our cat. And uh, I've had him since 1999, so oh, wow. we've been together. It'll be 17 years this year. Good for so, him. Good for you guys. Yeah. yeah. So they're they're our furry family. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so moving forward, so you, um, we'll we'll touch on sort of the the pet, the World Pet Loss Memorial Day celebration that you just had. Mm -hmm. And how was that like? Did, was there a lot of support? Did you see things you maybe didn't expect from the community or the people coming in? So when it comes to uh, pet loss and support, the one thing that I've noted here in Niagara is that we don't have a lot of it. And that's where I'm, like, I'm on that mission to make the change. So um, the, the event turned out really nicely. We weren't sure how it was going to be. It was the first time um, that we were having it here in uh, Niagara. And uh, about 30 people showed. Um, we had amazing support for it. Joshua, you were part of that support in, uh, in sponsoring the event. Always um, will be. And, yeah, and thank you for that because it was—it's uh, you know putting on an event, it, it costs money, uh, a lot. You, know, you have to find the venue, the advertising, and it was because of the sponsors like you of the event that we were actually able to make it happen in a nice location with everything that uh, that we were able to provide. So it was good. We had um, community members come out, and uh, you know we had some tears, we had some smiles, we had some sharing of of information, um, and it was. I really felt good leaving um, that event knowing that we connected together. When it comes with, to healing, it's not fun. You, it's, it, it, it's painful. We don't want to have to do it. But when we give ourselves the opportunity to come together with other people that will fully support us, that, I mean, the key is in the unity, the key is in the support. And that day gave us an amazing unity of the community 
unity of the community. Uh, and uh, it, it, it went really well. I'm really pleased with how we were able to come together. That's wonderful to see because I think, uh, you know, a lot of us, we, we, even with actually humans, there's a lack of support sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I can't even imagine with pet loss how entering that world can be. Like, for instance, like I'm noticing now that there's definitely a difference between people who have pets and people who don't. And have you come across that type of barrier maybe? You know, those who have never had a pet has never experienced the love, the, the unconditionalness, the, you know, the bond and the, the connection that we discussed about a few minutes ago. Um, and so when it comes to somebody who has had a pet and experienced that love and experienced that happiness, sometimes the support isn't seen. Like for example, somebody without a pet might say, should, should you maybe be over this by now? Like it was just yeah. a dog, right? Like it's not like it was your mom or somebody like that. And I, I, I respect that, I understand what they're saying because they haven't experienced that love. But to that pet parent, that pet owner that you know had, had lost that dog, that was their family, that was their friend, that was their companion. And so, you know, I say there's, there's a kind of a, a two sides of society and one side is they, they don't understand and it's not that they're being uncaring or unkind, they just have never experienced it. Given them the opportunity to experience it, I promise you, probably 99% of the time they're going to change their their outlook on that. But you know, and it, so it's really important to find the people that will support you, the people that will understand. Yeah, and um, you know, I was just yesterday I was talking about it. You know, people will make certain comments like, uh, "Oh, well, you know, he lived a long life, right? Like, you know, he's he's oh, he, he was was he at an old age? Yeah, oh, okay." And it'll like it almost maybe the person feels like it was nullified by, by that comment. Like, you know, not a, a person not fully allowed to grieve or, or the length of time. Like, how long has it been? Oh, a couple years, you know? <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, or they'll maybe say like, oh, just get another one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. That was said to me once. My, my animal was in the, the process of dying and we, we um, got a phone call and we were letting them know that you know, we, we need to, to make a decision really soon. And before our, our animal had even passed away, it was said to us, well, you can just get another one. And I remember thinking, I don't need to hear this right now. But again, she was trying to help me because that's how she knew what would be best. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's just realizing what your bond is with your animal and going with that because that is what's important. That is what's most important. It's true, right? Like it's really understanding your own feelings and not basing it on what other people sort of view it as. And that's a hard thing, I would say, because there is sort of, um, they look at pet loss uh, in the grief literature as disenfranchised. So society doesn't recognize it. You don't, you don't get time off work because your, your pet died, right? You don't get compensation. And you don't get a lot of recognition, recognition um, or support in the sense of, you know, where's the grief groups running, right? There's a bunch of grief groups for humans, uh, suicide, even child, but there's nothing for pets. Is that something that you are wanting to starting or have you started uh, when it comes to supporting people on a regular basis? Or do you have like a platform that you can support people on? Because now with technology, you don't really need to be in the same proximity. You just have to have a space for them to be able to share and feel heard. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you asked that, Josh, because 
we are looking at putting together an um, um, uh, in-person grief support group here in Niagara. Uh, but in the meantime, before we can put that into place, uh, I have on the Power of Pets platform is what I call the I Believe in the Power of Pets movement. And so with this, I have people from all around the world that connect with me and they get a free downloadable copy of my book on my website. Oh, wow. And when you sign up for that, I keep in touch with you. And I touch base and see how you're doing. And I offer you to send me a picture of your pet if you wish for me to paste on, uh, post on the um, our Facebook community group. And, you know, it's, it's a great way to feel connected. So, I mean, there's people in South Africa or Australia or Germany that are part of this, even though I'm here in Canada. But we all are together a unit, you know. And so we're all part of the Power Pets community. We stand beside each other arm in arm. Wow. So there definitely is support, no matter where you are in the world, to come to come to be part of this power pets movement, um, and uh, knowing that support is there, no one should be alone. So that's where it started, and I'm my mission, like I mentioned, you know, it's going to be branching out to more support and availability of that. But there definitely is a platform right now for anybody that would like to join that. That's nice. It's really great to hear that. Do you find that maybe like? Is there a different benefit for face-to-face versus, um, let's say, on the internet? So that's a good question, and my answer to that is it's unique because, so healing, just like a snowflake, you know, you look under a microscope, there's no one snowflake that is the same. They're all, they're all unique. So healing is unique as well. So you might, uh, Josh, you might like to talk about, you know, the, the healing aspect, whereas Sean, you might not. You might be a little bit more quiet and reserved. So it's, it's really important, I think, to have both because some people want to express it. Some people want to be able to talk about it and other people want to do it in their own private time. So online is a great way to do that. Um, and then being in person is a great way to be able to, to have that connection, that actual you know, face-to-face um, acceptance and uh, um, being able to, to know that, that they're in a safe space and that it's okay. Yeah, I think there's something to being in a group because you can make friends uh, in your community and they can become best friends because they now know what it feel they know what it feels like to have lost someone and there's a there's a connection there because they can understand you and you're almost like building this other group that understands how you feel based on maybe other people who just don't have pets or whatnot they don't ever ask the questions now you're building this group that asks the questions and you can sort of grieve together. And, That's right. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and through the sharing, um, you know, you build that bond even further. It's amazing. You know, it's the number of pets people have in our, the world, you know, North America, whatever it is, and it's in the millions and millions. So we all have a common thing here. You know, there's a lot of other things that divide us, but incredibly, like pets, we all have them. So it, it's, I've been a part of some Facebook groups where a lot of people won't comment on anything, but as soon as someone says, hey, post pictures of your pets, wow, you get flooding of pictures and stuff. And yeah. that's so cool to see because, you know, people are like, hey, we all have this in common and here's my pet and I'm proud of him or her or whatever, you know. Well, when you think about it, it's pets that, I mean, Josh, you and I, it's actually, you know, pets that have brought us together. Right. If it yeah. wasn't for me seeing your presentation coming up on Great Dreams, learning that you do it with people and also pets, you know, it's it's animals that have brought us together. I was out <laughs> yesterday with my Chihuahua. We meet uh, in this little area, and and uh, 
Duke is there, and Ginger is there, and all of these other animals, and their humans, are there with them, and we stop and we chat, and they all play, and I'm like, you know what, if we were just out here on our own, we probably would say, hi, how you doing, and then we'd keep going. That's true. Right? That's a great point, but yeah. But animals have brought us together, so when the animal dies, we should still have that unity, right. and it gives a chance for the animals to bring grieving people together in their animal's memory and honor. That's so interesting. I have, uh, you know, because, you know, my dog's uh, 10 months. Anyways, we go to dog parks a lot. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of areas like that in my neighborhood. And just like you said, you will talk and people will stop you and you will stop other people. And it's the, the ice breaking is so much easier because, you know, the dogs don't have those barriers. They'll go up to a stranger, uh, if, obviously, if they feel comfortable. But most of the time, they're, they're good. Don't go sniff the stranger, pet the stranger. It's an opening. It's a smile on the other person's face. And, um, you know, I've also had a lot of conversations about pet loss and grief with people just randomly. And, and it's incredible because with perfect, we were talking about this yesterday. A lot of times the conversations we have with people are kind of just, you know, superficial conversation. How's the weather? How's this? Whatever. We don't get to the heart of things. It takes a while, right, to build a relationship with someone. Talk about someone's loss. You're, you're in there pretty quickly. You know, just a stranger, a 10-minute conversation about their loss, you've got to the heart of that person's, you know, personal, their, their love. So mm -hmm. that's an incredible thing that pets can do. Yeah, it's an amazing thing that you mentioned too, walk in the park, because that's something they lose. They lose breeding other dogs and their owners um, because they don't have a dog now, if it is a dog, uh, to walk with in the park, right? And what that would bring about, like that pain, and like, so it's like the secondary losses. Right. That's right. It's like a, it's a, like you're finding a new identity because your identity was you walking your dog every single day in that area, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden that that habitual pattern has changed. So not only are you grieving the loss of that dog, you're grieving the loss of what you did together and and the the times that you spent together because that's all part of the relationship that you that you held with that animal. Forced you to see another world too, right? Because you know you're my eyes are on the ground a lot more my eyes are like okay the areas you know i know he likes to chew sticks i know he likes to chew this you know and and it it's a different perspective mm -hmm. so i can imagine when the pet you know when you've lost your pet well you still see those things and those might trigger the memories of your pet so that that's again wow it's powerful stuff and in your book you talk about the benefits of owning an animal and can you speak upon some of the benefits that you've seen just even in the research I mean, the be I mean, when you look at having an animal in your life and how we talked about the bond and connection between a human and an animal, I mean, there are animals, I mean, how many times have you heard of an animal come into a school or come into a nursing home or a retirement facility? Um, these people are there, they could, uh, well, let me give you an example. So for schools, animals will come into schools and work with children before uh, a test or an exam and the children are nervous because of the upcoming test and the animal will come in they'll play with them they'll pet them just the act of you know stroking of an animal has been proven to decrease blood pressure decrease anxiety um, there's so many benefits animals bring to us for health for well-being um, and these children actually learn to read better. They do better on their tests, all because they got to spend 
10 or 15 minutes with this beautiful dog that's come in before their exam. Yeah, and that's interesting because Brock had said that during the exam period, they bring animals in uh, for the wow. students, right? So it goes to what you're saying, how it helps reduce anxieties mm-hmm. and the stress and the pressure that they're under because they get to sort of, we were talking about being in the moment almost, right? They get to sort of actually put all that stuff aside and just like be yeah. the animal. That's right. There's so many health benefits. I mean, even uh, you know, having a dog, your exercise is guaranteed to increase. <laughs> yes. Right? You know, because <laughs> you, unless you, I mean, and that's not a good life for a dog if you don't allow that. So you need to, um, you need to, to be a responsible pet owner. You need to give your animal what they need. So dogs need to get outside. They need to walk. They need to play. And uh, so exercise is one of those things which helps with health. And even people who hate exercising, and you're looking at one of them because like, I exercise to me just is not fun. But if I'm out walking my dog, that's fun. And guess what? I'm exercising. So it's a, it's a great way to look at it that way. But you can't exercise if you have a fish, though, right? Unless you want to swim within the pool. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could both travel to a salt water. I don't know, I got to salt water. Oh, God, that's confusing. Well, let's put it this way. If you have a fish, it's a little bit harder to exercise, but you can exercise your mind. Because when you go to your fish, I've had a fish where every time I came home, he or she, I don't know if it was a male or female, I called him a he, his name was Zerber. And uh, he would come up and actually almost as if to greet me. Now, maybe he was coming up asking for food, whatever. But there was something there. And I spent time talking to him and doing that. A cat, you don't take a cat out for a walk, but you can. the cat needs stimulation, right? You need to, to play with your cat. Well, guess what that is? That's movement. You know, you're, you're, you're running around the house, you're throwing balls, getting the, you know, it, it, it does... Pretty much with any animal, you know, you can you can have some sort of, of health benefit. And so moving on to sort of now you sort of took this challenge to write this book. And a lot of the book is you interviewed other people from different places. I did, yeah. Can you speak upon that? What it was like? Did you learn anything from them? The interview process that I did for my book was one of the most amazing parts of writing it. So the publisher that I found. Um, I love him. He's with Blackheart Books. And he recommended that as I write the book, do some research, get out there and interview people in, you know, frontline in this area in various aspects of the pet community. And so I actually interviewed 82 people for the book. And out of that came such amazing stories of, of the bonding connection, stories of healing, uh, tools and strategies in which I incorporated into the book. Um, there was some really neat, like Ernie Sloan, he's the publisher of Dog Fancy, Cat Fancy Magazine in California. Uh, we had a great interview together and he has two dogs, Gordon and Gypsy, and they go in and they do therapy work. And he told me the stories of how there was this woman and she was, she was dying. It was just a matter of hours and, um, she was alone and she, he went in the room with one of his dogs and they just lied beside her, and he said she immediately looked peaceful, and she was able to pass with this dog beside her. And he, the work that he does, this man, he's just amazing. And so things like that came out of my interviews. And then I had um, an interview with uh, Wayne Paselli, who's the the CEO and um, president of the Humane Society of the United States. 
He's been on Ellen DeGeneres, he's on CNN. Um, he, he gave me such a great interview because he was able to see it from factory farm animals to animals on the farm to pets. And uh, he was able to give me a really good perspective of loss and how we as humans experience it. And one of the things that I quoted in my book from him was that he said it's, it's animals feel, they think, you know, they, they have, it's, it's like animals, they are sentient beings. And when it comes for us to lose them, um, you know, we, we need to give ourselves the, the opportunity to be able to heal. You know, they, they are a lot to our lives. So let's honor them in that healing. Absolutely. And I bet that was great support for you as well in your journey, being able to meet people like that. Yes. Yeah. And it shows me that there's a whole world out there of this type of support. You know, when it comes to this, especially with pet loss and how we were talking about a lot of parts of society doesn't accept it or it's not supported. But when you look at, and you can feel very alone and isolated in that instance, but doing these interviews really shared with me that there's a whole world out there of people that do understand and it's a matter of finding that support system because it's it's there it's there that's that's amazing so i'm glad you wrote the book i said because i read it and i really enjoyed it and i can see it helping a lot of people in their journey to just validate that it's okay to recognize your loss and to feel and grieve the the pet that uh your best friend usually that passed away and so reading the book, there was one thing that I thought was very interesting under, you have like seven different, I guess, chapters, I guess you'd call it, <coughs> tools. And uh, the, one of the last ones is gifts of many. And you sort of state that uh, you don't believe that uh, the, the pet and the owner, those two meet, uh, they don't meet by accident. So there's a meaning and a purpose on why people choose certain animals versus others. Uh, can you speak upon that? Do you have that? Like, do you, do you see... Um, that occurring with the people you're supporting and is that why some animal like animal owners pick pets that look like them (laughs) (laughs) you know I wondered about that too because it's so true Um, and even when an animal comes into somebody's life they may not look like each other at the beginning but then over the years they all of a sudden start you know (laughs) looking like each other but um, basically I truly believe that a lot of times our animals find us. You know, we we find each other at the exact perfect time that we're meant to. And when it comes to the time together and when, unfortunately, an animal's lifespan is not the same as a human's lifespan. So if we have an animal in our life, more times than not, we're going to experience their loss. And that's what hurts so much. However, um, knowing that you've met your pet at the best time that you could have and knowing that your time together is the absolute best that it can be that's part of the gifts of many to be able to move forward in their honor Mm -hmm. so that when they're no longer here what was it that they did to make you smile what were their quirky personalities that they did that made you laugh what about coming home that day after a hard day at school or work or meetings and you're just so tired and what do you do when you open up the door who was there for you you know, that's what, what, if we could give our animals a voice, and if they could talk human, they would say to us, I want you to be happy, and remember me for who I was, because that's still here, right. that's still here, so it's, it's remembering that, that you met your pet for a reason, and they had many lessons, they were your teacher, and what lessons can you take with you 
at the perfect time that you met them, now that they're no longer here physically, what can you take with you and use in their honor? That's nice. As I said, like, because they change us, I think they open our hearts to, to have more compassion for animals and just people in general. And I think as you move forward, that what has changed in you was because of them. And so you are now a different person because of them. So everything you do is in honor of them exactly. and, and what they sort of uh, did to you in your life. Mm -hmm. And so Sean, you just got uh, Rumble. And so what was that process like in the sense of picking up the dog? Do you feel like it was something that you were consciously aware of and what you were choosing? Did he choose you? Yeah. How did that process go? <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, like I said, it, um, pretty much uh, since I can remember, I've wanted a, a dog. And, uh, and I knew I would always get one. I knew it would always be a matter of time. So, it, you know, I, I was waiting until I could find my own place. I've been renting a lot and I didn't really want to have a dog in a rental. So I finally got my first condo. I moved in of May of last year. It just so happened that at the same time, a year previous, I joined a company. There'd been a gentleman who had been breeding these type of dogs, always liked bulldogs. So I, and then he had just, uh, introduced me to old English bulldogs, which for me was the perfect fit because with the health issues and whatnot. Anyways, long story short, um, he had a litter in July of that year. So I moved into my condo in May. He had a litter in July and I picked up my uh, dog in October. And all along the way, I was thinking I wanted a female. You know, I'd heard, I'd researched, it's my first dog. So people said, well, it's a little easier to train a female, et cetera, et cetera. So it's okay. So that was in the back of my mind, but didn't quite feel right to specify yet. I, I wanted to see, I wanted to feel, you know. So. I realized, uh, so the breeder had told me there's only one female left. And uh, he had kind of told somebody else that she could get it. So going to the breeder's house, in my mind, I was thinking, I'll just, you know, he's a buddy of mine. I'll offer him a little more money. He'll give me the female if I like. So I go, I see the dogs, you know, and immediately I gravitate towards Rumble. I see him. It's just he had the right balance, the right mixture of calm but assertive. Um, and the color, you know, he's just the beautiful, he was very unique. He was a very beautiful kind of reddish chocolatey with, and the markings were the main thing. He had like this really cute white marking around his face. So again, I go with feel, right? I'm a Gemini, I'm a very, you know, intuitive person. So I thought, okay, let's, you know, I, I just feel Rumble's right. And it's funny, so I didn't, I didn't have a name yet. So I picked him, I chose a male. So I already went against what, and I, and I didn't even like my feeling. So I went against that. So sure enough, he, the breeder still kept Rumble for another couple weeks. And all along, I'm picking the name. I'm going through lists. And I'm talking about like all the online lists of names. Nothing's working. Again, I'm intuitive. I, I go with what I feel. All of a sudden, you know, I, I see, I think about, uh, I'm a big uh, sports MMA fan. So there's a, there's a fighter. His name is Rumble Johnson. His nickname is Rumble. As soon as I heard it, it clicked. I'm like, that's it. It's Rumble. Wow. So again, those for me, it was very intuitive and like go with your gut. And that's what led me to all those decisions. And right now, everybody said the name fits. Josh, you've seen him. He's a very rambunctious kind of, he's a bulldog. And Rumble fits. And I, I love the personality. I, I, I just love the decision. That's interesting. You talk about name picking, right? Because you only assume that would be difficult for some people. And so for Kitty, that passed away, was that a hard task? Because Kitty seems to be like, so you wouldn't, it's just so straightforward. It's like, did it come natural or was it like something that was hard to choose? So with Kitty, when, when he came into my life, he came with the name Kitty. 
So I, I kept saying, oh, oh, okay. But for example, Mushi, so you were talking about meeting Rumble and you had wanted a female. So I, I went to the Humane Society and I was looking for a cat. And I'm very partial to black cats or black and white cats. Although I love all cats, but I, I shouldn't say I am partial. That's changed. At the time, back in 1999, I was partial to black, black and white cats. And so I was looking um, at the cats there and there were some there, but it, and I of course wanted to take them all, but of course I can only choose one. And I was having a really hard time and I didn't know, it didn't, there wasn't a fit yet, right? And then all of a sudden the person at the Humane Society said to me, he said, you know what? There's a cat in the back room that we have to keep um, aside for now because there's so many days that they have to, just in case somebody comes to clean. But on Monday, he's gonna be up for adoption. And this was the Friday. And she said, so he's not up for adoption yet, but would you like to see him? So I said, okay. And she takes me into the back room and there's this orange and white cat, okay? So orange and white, I wasn't there for an orange and white cat. Um, and she said, and so of course he's there and he's looking at me like, uh, hello, I'm here and I'm gonna make sure you see me. And, <laughs> You know, so she's like, do you want me to bring him out? You can be in the room with him. And so they put us in a private room together and he was just all like mischievous and trying to, you know, make sure that I knew that he was there. And, and I just thought there's something about this cat. And so I left that day because now I needed to make a decision. Do I make a decision with one of the other cats that I'm looking at or this guy here? So I called on a Monday and I said, is that cat available for adoption? And she said, yes. And I said, listen, I'm coming to get him. So I did. And I said, does he have a name? And she said, no, um, we haven't named him anything yet, but he's really sweet. He's just really mushy. <laughs> and I remember going, okay, that's cool. And then I brought him home and I'm like, what am I going to name you? What am I going to name you? Mushy. Mush, mush, mushy. Okay. Like, and it just came from that. So that's how I got his name. That's interesting. Um, and he's definitely a moosh. He's a moosh. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think, yeah, like naming, even like children versus pets, it's just like it's an interesting process of how mm -hmm. people come about to those names. And so let's move on to uh, grief itself. So have you owned lots of animals in your life or has it been, have you lost uh, some humans? Can you speak upon your grief journey? Sure. Yeah, I've actually had a lot of loss in my life. Um, from a young age. My grandparents died when I was quite young. Um, of course, from a very young age, we had animals, um, especially living on a farm. They didn't live as long as an animal that would live inside. Although we did have inside animals, um, like dogs and cats. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so there was a lot of loss and, and I had a, a really hard time with it. And that's why I'm really happy that my parents brought that concept of loss in it's okay to be sad. And it's okay to express that. And we really encourage you to remember what were the happy times? What can you bring with you forward? Um, you know, what did grandma mean to you? Uh, you know, that. And then in my early 20s, my father passed away. And it was really interesting how when it happened, I had moved out about a year and a half before that. And the day I left, I remember driving out the driveway and we had the convoy of all you know, my father and his truck with all the stuff of my stuff and my car and everything. And when we were going, I felt this horrendous feeling of sadness. And I felt like one of my parents was going to die soon. And I don't, and it, it really scared me. 
And then my father got sick shortly after that and then, and then passed away. And it, uh, it really affected me. Um, so I, I, had, uh, I have experienced quite a bit of loss when it, you know, up until this point. But now I see that those were all lessons for me. And it's what those losses mean to me that I can bring forward. My father had to die in order for me to realize that there are things called grief dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Kitty had to die in order for me to be able to help people with the Power of Pets community. And although I wish I could have them here physically in my life, that is something I don't have control over. So I do have control of what they brought to my life when they were here. And that helps me move forward. So. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, you've really brought used uh, that those that trauma in a way for positive to kind of push you forward. You know, used it to make more meaning out of your life, which is an amazing thing. That's incredible. Well, thank you for saying yeah. that. You know, it's it's something that um, it, it's hard to grasp. It's hard to concept uh, get the concept, but once you do and you realize how much it can help. Um, it really does work as a wonderful tool for moving forward. That really goes along with what, uh, you know, the heart of this podcast is, is compassion, empathy, you know, you have to be empathetic, you have to be compassion to gain from those type of um, situations, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Is there, did you find a difference with when your, your dad passed versus when Kitty passed in the sense of different things that may have came up that... You're like, oh, what's this? Well, when my father passed, I was in my 20s, whereas when Kitty passed, I was in my late 30s. So I was at two different times of my life, two different maturity stages of my life. Um, you know, when my father passed, it was more um, more egoic type of feeling, like he's he's gone from my life. Um, what am I going to do now? How can I go on kind of thing? Um, whereas when Kitty passed, it was, uh, again, because the dynamic between a, a, him as an animal and me as a human, uh, Kitty, when we were together, he taught me how, what it felt like to be a family. Now, my father also taught me that too, mm-hmm. but from an animal, that's a different perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah, like uh, you had stewardship, pretty much. Like, you know, that's a part of being an owner. Your stewardship, you're, yeah. you're responsible for taking care of the pet. You know, exactly. Exactly. At that stage of your life, you weren't responsible for taking care of the parent necessarily. It's exactly. a different. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because my father always took care of me, yeah. right? And now this was Kitty, and I was taking care of him. Um, and I know that when he died, I felt that that immediate loss of that family, that feeling of love and family, um, which is interesting because it that to me brings back, because a lot of times we grieve losses of animals with different pieces of losses of people, right? So when my father died, I was very much of the loss of my father, the loss of the family unit, the loss of what, you know, I was very close to my father. I sat on his lap up until the week before he died, like, you know, in my 20s, you know, to to, to give him a hug and stuff like that. So it, we were very close together and with Kitty, I think when Kitty passed, it brought up a lot of things about the loss of my dad, even though I didn't identify them as that at that point. And so you, you talked about you had a dream of your father. Is that, could you, you want to share that dream or have you had dreams of animals? Yeah, so, so I did, um, I've had many dreams, many. So I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about them all, but 
Uh, after my father passed away shortly after, um, I did have dreams of him and they were so real and so vivid. And I ask him all these questions, you know, what's it like over there? Where are you? Are you happy? Oh, wow. You know, all this stuff. And he would answer them all. Really? But, oh. <laughs> but every time I woke up, I couldn't remember what he told me. Oh. So I, I do remember the feeling I had of what he told me, but I was never meant to remember what the answers are. Yeah. And there was a couple times where I asked him a question that I just wasn't supposed to know and no, wake up a wow. little dream so you know and uh i had a dream uh sorry i didn't have this dream after kitty passed away uh my husband uh had a dream and woke up and could still hear what was happening in his ear so he was dreaming that kitty was by his head and was purring in his ear and because he used to do that every morning to him it was very calming and so uh, he woke up and he could still hear kitties purring, even though he, he was kind of in that weak uh, sleep awake state. And then just about, I don't know, three weeks ago, I had a dream about, um, so let me tell you a little bit of the history. When I was in grade four, I met this boy named Richie Gent. And we went to school together and he was a popular guy. He, you know, from grade four, five, six, seven, eight, he was always in the popular crowd. And I wasn't. And I remember thinking he was so cool and you know, all the girls liked him and, you know, and, uh, but he was always nice to me, even though I wasn't hanging out with him or his popular crowd friends, he was always nice to me. And uh, when he got into grade nine, he was in a motorcycle accident and he died. And I remember how much it affected me uh, with loss, but I remember his friends that he hung out with, his family, the community, and how much it really affected because he was only, you know, 14 yeah, years old. Yeah, it's traumatic. And it was very tragic how he died. So about three weeks ago, I was preparing for the uh, pet loss remembrance vigil that we had just a few weeks ago. And you know how dreams are kind of, they're funky, like they kind of don't all make sense, they're a little contorted, they, you know, we were in this house, it was very dark, there was a lot of brown, um, the people around us were kind of all weird, but Richie was there. And he was in another room. And I looked, so, so if I was in the one room looking through the doorway to look into the room that he was at, at the end of the dream, I looked over at him and he, he popped his head to the side to see me through the doorway. And he said, I am not gone. I've merely stepped down from my role as Richie Gent. And then I immediately woke up. Wow. Wow. So it was very, and that just happened about three weeks ago. It That's was incredible. very powerful. And it reminds me that the people and the animals, wh whoever loved ones have been in our lives, they are not gone. Their physical presence is, but they aren't. There's just so many things. You know, that, that that's, that's so interesting. And because I feel like we become attached to who we are, right? And even when someone passes, we're attached to the concept of them. And maybe, like, you know, sometimes things like that say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm okay with this. I've transitioned into something else. I'm doing it over yeah, here. Exactly. And some people may say, well, that was just your mind, right? That, like that your mind just created that while you were dreaming. And maybe it did. But you know what? I woke up with such comfort. And I choose to believe that it was a message from him. Whether it was or not, that's okay. I choose to believe it was. Yeah, well, it's based on yeah. how you feel, right? Yeah. And I always say when it comes to 
uh, to meaning of the dreams is to just how does it make you feel when you wake up and go with that. Exactly. Right? Because at the end of the day, you don't know. But what matters is that it, it's helping you with your grief. And if believing that he's just transitioned in the sense that he's a, a soul now, and, he, and he's not that in that body or that shell, that he's actually something greater mm-hmm. um, than that being that you once knew, well, that just makes you sit in that mystery of life and almost get excited to what is life about? Right? And like, those are the questions you're asking your father. So you can see how it all plays together that there is, your mind is believing that and you have questions. Right? What is it like? And I think that's the beauty of it all because sometimes you do get little glimpses and answers of what it may be like um, when, when you do crossover. Mm-hmm. So that's beautiful. That's yeah. an amazing dream. The, yeah, universe, the universe responds when you ask sometimes. You, know, mm-hmm. you just have to listen. All right, this has been excellent, Mary Beth. Uh, unfortunately, like every interview we do, uh, it could go on forever. Maybe, you know what, we'll have you on again for sure. Uh, because again, pet loss, you know, is a huge, is also a bigger part of, of what we do. You know, we can't separate those two. Again, your book, The Power of Pets, Seven Effective Tools to Heal from Pet Loss. Where can people find this if they want to buy it? So this book, I have a second book too called From Empty to Empowered. Okay. The Journey to Healing from Unexpected Pet Loss. They both are available on my website at www.powerofpets365.com or if people wish to go to Amazon, they can order it directly from there as well. Okay, everybody, just going to wrap up right now. You can find the newsletter available at griefdreams.ca. Uh, podcast will be available at podbean.com. Just look up Grief Dreams Podcast. Also on iTunes now, um, you just look up Grief Dreams Podcast. Which is very exciting. We're you know, playing around with the idea. I think now being up there just hits a, a larger audience. Yep, easier if you have an iPhone. As well, if you have any comments, questions, uh, you can hit us up at griefjamespodcast at gmail. griefjamespodcast at gmail.com. We did it. All right, goodbye. The new beginning begins.